Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 150. Psalm 150. Now, this has been an interesting summer. It's been a fantastic look, in, at least in my opinion. I've thoroughly enjoyed being in the Psalms this summer. Uh, we're, we're not finishing this week, although this is the last psalm. We're going to uh, wrap up next week in this look that we've been taking in the book of Psalms. Uh, but, you know, th- the uniqueness, there's so many unique things about the book of Psalms. And I told you one of the very first messages that uh, my first, uh, the person that I consider to be my first spiritual mentor told me that whenever I was going through something in life, whenever things were difficult, whenever things were hard, maybe sad, uh, you know, just felt like the world kind of closing in around us, he, he told me, find your voice in the Psalms. And I really didn't know what that meant when he told me, but as I continued to dig into the Psalms, not only during difficult portions of my life, but also just in, in times when things were good, I could always find something in the Psalms where I just kind of attached to it. It just really spoke to my heart. And you know, we're coming up on this Psalm 150. So the Psalms have all kinds of different themes. Uh, they're, not, uh, they're laid out into different books. We see that there's five different books, but it's, it's not like there's book one that's a book of prayer. And then book two goes to a book of thanksgiving. And then book three goes to a book of lament. And they're they're all just kind of intertwined as we go along. And there's it's not laid out chronologically. Uh, like Psalm 90, which is what Pastor Thomas spoke on a couple weeks ago. That is most likely the oldest of the Psalms that we find that was written by Moses. But yet we find it kind of right smack dab in the middle of the book. So as the people who were compiling the the previous 149 psalms, they made this conscious choice to place Psalm 150 at the very end of the book. And I believe that they did so for a specific reason, and and we'll, we'll get to that, we'll cover that here in a few moments. But as we've been taking each psalm that we've looked at, we've been looking at one word, the one word for Psalm 150 is going to be worship. The, the theme is going to be worship or praise. And as you look, the Psalms just kind of follow this little bit of a flow. They just kind of go through our lives and it gets really real. And that's what I love about the Bible. Not only just the book of Psalms, but the entirety of this book is it gets real in our lives. It meets us where we are. No matter what we're going through, it meets us exactly where we are. We've seen things like, you know, King David wrote the majority of the Psalms, and we've seen King David, you know, make these great, eloquent Psalms of praise and worship and thanksgiving and just rejoicing in the middle of them. Then at the same time, we'll turn around and maybe the next Psalm that we see from King David, he's lamenting, he's fearful. He's maybe even in a, in a state of depression. So the Bible doesn't try, especially in the book of Psalms, it doesn't try to make life this thing that it's not. And all of us know that life is not always smooth sailing. It's not always calm seas. And I, I love the saying, can't remember because I didn't think about it until just now, and that's how my mind works. But someone once said, a wise man or a woman, once said that, Smooth seas don't make for good sailors. 
It's during the times of turbulence, of wind, of rain, of storms, that, that this character, this skill set, this, this dealing, these, these, these mechanisms develop. And Psalm doesn't shy away from that. So you have all of these peaks and valleys that we see going through the book of Psalms, and then it comes to the very end, Psalm 150. And this is how the, the, the men and women who compiled the Psalms, this is how they chose to wrap up the book of Psalms. So Psalm 150, verse 1, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray this morning. God, we are um, just so grateful to be here. Uh, so, so blessed to be able uh, to not only gather in person, but to um, possess the technology uh, to be online together and to dive into your word. And God, as we look at this psalm this morning, I pray that you would uh, just open our ears open our minds, open our hearts to what you would want to speak to us this morning. God, this morning I pray that I would be simple, I would be concise, and I would say what you want me to say, that you would inspire me, allow your Holy Spirit to speak through me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like we've done a couple times throughout our study in the Psalms, we're going to answer some questions. We're actually going to answer five questions this morning. We're going to answer who. We're going to answer where. We're going to answer how. We're going to answer why. And we're going to answer who is invited. As we see this, praise the Lord. Thirteen times in six verses. Praise is mentioned. Now, here's, here's a reality for us that, that all of us can kind of um, embrace and relate to. We do not have a choice but to praise. It's how we're hardwired. We do not have a choice but to worship. We do not have a choice but to love something. The difficulty that we have is that our worship, our praise, and our love is oftentimes expressed and pointed to the wrong things. And I was talking with Kim yesterday, and she and I were just having this conversation about worship, about praise, about uh, love, and, and what we worship, what we praise, what we love. And I told her, I said, you know, I can go through my life and think of so many times that I've had to purposefully and intentionally praise God, worship God, love God. Does anybody else find yourself in those moments that maybe you're in the, in the middle of the day and you just kind of have to stop and remind yourself that we are called to worship God, to love God, 
to praise God. And we have to make that conscious decision. I told her, I said, the, the disconcerting thing for me and the thing that bothers me the most is that I don't ever recall having to make an intentional or purposeful decision to worship or love or praise something else. I don't, when my love, when my praise, when my worship is, is misguided and it's pointed at the wrong things, there's, I don't recall having to make that conscious decision. If I'm worshiping myself, if I'm praising myself, I don't ever have to remember making that conscious decision that, hey, you need to pat yourself on the back, buddy boy, you're pretty awesome. I mean, you all can tell me that if you want to, I don't mind. But I don't ever recall having to make that intentional and purposeful decision to love something or worship something that really I don't need to. But yet when it comes to the one who deserves every ounce of worship, every ounce of praise, every ounce of love that I have, there are many times in my life that I have to purposefully remind myself to do that. And that, that's troubling to me. But the good news is, is I'm not the only one who suffers from that. I'm in a room full of people who do the same thing. I'm also being watched, hopefully, by millions upon millions of people on YouTube right now live that struggle with the exact same thing. And the good news for all of us is this is not just a current day thing. It's not just a modern day thing. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to look and see how um, Paul is recognizing this in his letter to Rome that we all have this issue, and they had it back in his time as well. So Romans chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who surpass, not surpass, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because they because what, that, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and in foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So, I mean, look at some of these words in this. You know, ungodliness, unrighteousness, suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. You know, it, talking about how we are not thankful, we don't glorify him, that we're futile in our thoughts, we're foolish in our hearts, and our hearts are darkened. You see, we're hardwired to worship something. We are hardwired to praise something. We are hardwired to worship. But the problem is, 
is so many of us have a wrong direction and a wrong target for this love, worship, and praise. And Paul recognizes this. He's talking about this battle that he's fighting, that that he's instructing the church at Rome to understand that, listen, you are not praising the right thing. Our natural lean, our natural tendency, even with Jesus in our life, when we lean too much on the flesh, we target the wrong things with our love, worship, affection, and desires. And Paul's saying we can't do that. I believe that it was uh, St. Augustine that said that we as humans have heart sclerosis. That our hearts are kind of bent in and turned in on themselves. And you know, and again, making, understanding that I make these wrong choices unintentionally just kind of goes to prove what Paul later says in Romans chapter 7 when he talks about the things that I know I should do. I find myself not doing. And the things that I shouldn't do, that I don't want to do, is what I find myself doing. Guys, we are hardwired to worship. We don't have a choice. But what we do have a choice in is what and who we are going to worship. And Psalm 50, 150 comes right out of the gates and answers that for us. Verse 1, so who are we going to praise? Praise the Lord. And again, it's that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which means he's talking about Yahweh. It's not some ambiguous form of a great spirit or or anything that could be considered greater than us. This is not just an ambiguous picture of God. He's saying the creator, the sustainer, the provider, the one who preserves and sustains you, praise the Lord. So that's who we are supposed to praise. And that's right out of the gate. And he's saying, 150 is telling us that no matter what we're facing, we've taken you through 149 different psalms that go through every possible scenario that you could face in your life, every range of emotion, every situation that you could possibly face. And we land right here at Psalm 150 that says, praise the Lord. I don't know if you've ever read it. If you have read it, then you do a lot of heavy reading or you went to school for it. The Westminster Catechism is a great historical document of a church, the church in Europe. The very first question that it asks is, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? Basically, what's the purpose of life? What is the purpose? Why am I here? Psalm 150 answers that for us right out of the gate. Praise the Lord. So that's the who. Now let's go to where. Okay, Verse 1 continued. Praise God in His sanctuary. Now, sanctuary, especially in the Old Testament, but all throughout the Bible, but especially in the Old Testament, is is kind of a, a, a loose term that the Bible uses frequently. The sanctuary of God. Sometimes the Garden of Eden can even be referred to as a sanctuary. The tabernacle, which was no more than a tent that God lived in. You know, the Garden of Eden was the place of the dwelling of the presence of God. The tabernacle, the tent, 
was the residing place of the presence of God. The temple is also referred to as the sanctuary that, that Solomon, the initial temple, was built by Solomon, and that's what housed the presence of God during that time, and that was referred to as the sanctuary. But guess what else is referred to as the sanctuary? Everything else. Praise Him in His mighty firmament or in His creation. Praise Him. So that not only means that this place, this church, is the sanctuary, but that means that you are the sanctuary. Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've given your heart to Him, you've repented, you've been baptized, then you have His Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. His presence now has taken up residence in your life, making you the sanctuary. Isn't that an awesome thought? Every tree, every blade of grass, every cloud, everything that you see that he has created is God's sanctuary. So where should we praise him? Everywhere. See, this is another thing that we find. Because it's really easy to come in here on Sundays and praise the Lord. But then when we get to our job on Monday morning, that becomes a little bit more difficult, doesn't it? It's easy to come in here, and, and husbands and wives, you all may be able to relate to that. It's easier to come in here maybe when you've been fighting in the car ride all the way here or trying to get kids ready, trying to get Sunday morning ready. It's easier to pretend that you can praise and put on that happy face in here, but if you have a marriage that's full of tension and strife, it's not as easy to praise him there, is it? Maybe if you have a job that you're not happy with, that, 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 that just you don't want to go, you dread being there. Maybe they mistreat you. Maybe they, they don't appreciate you the way that they should. It's difficult to praise God there. At least it's more difficult, well, I'll say for the staff, when they have to come in here and listen to me again on Monday morning, talk about what I'm just talking about now. It's not easy for them to praise the Lord at that point. But we're not called to praise Him in a specific location other than everywhere. Do you want to know what the Greek word for everywhere can also mean? Everywhere. All places. Wherever you are, you are called, you're commanded by Psalm 150 to praise the Lord no matter where. So let's look at the why. Verse 2. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Or praise God for what He has done. Praise Him for what He's done. And then, praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise God for what He's doing. And what He's going to do. You see, our Christian life has to be far bigger than our moment of salvation. Now make no mistake about it, that's the greatest moment that changed your eternal destiny, was that moment that you said yes to Jesus Christ and gave your heart and turned your life over to Him, but it doesn't stop there. You praise God for what He has done in your life, but we're also called to praise God for what He's doing. I, um, I heard someone say, um, wonderful man of God, someone I look up to and admire 
a lot is, is a, a retired minister. Uh, his name is R.T. Kendall. And he was talking about how everything that's going on right now, everything that's going and I love this meme, but who had double hurricanes on their bingo board for the year 2020? How many of y'all seen that now? But I mean, all the stuff that's going on in this year, someone was asking, where is God in all of this? And the response was, he's right in the middle of it. He is right in the middle of it. It's tough for us to see when things aren't necessarily going the way that we think they should. Whenever circumstances are kind of messed up, whenever uh, situations in our lives may be not what we thought that they should be or would be or could be even. But we have to look past what's going on externally and look at what God is doing in this time. And here is a, here's a number that I want to pass along to you that it, it's not necessarily been all in that baptistry, but from the time that March 15th, the day that will, be, that will live in infamy, it's that first time that the churches you know, kind of went online for the COVID pandemic. Since that moment, this church has been directly responsible for 43 decisions being made for Jesus Christ. 43 decisions for Jesus Christ. On Tuesday, I'm going to have the pleasure of baptizing five to six more people who are watching via that camera that's placed awkwardly right in the middle of everything. So where is God? He's right in the middle of this thing. Where is God in your mess? He's right in the middle of it. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Worship the Lord. Why? Because of not only what He's done, but what He's doing and what He's going to do. So let's look at how. Okay? And this is a passage that I continually throw out to Kennedy as a reason that she should have me on stage during praise and worship. You'll notice that you've not seen me on stage during praise and worship. But let's look at the how here. Let's start in verse 3. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. That's where I feel like I could really shine, but she doesn't think so. Praise him. I really need to understand that we can't edit this stuff out live. You know what I mean? Anyhow, praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Now, there's a lot of people who take this passage, take these verses, and use it as a justification or that they present it as the sole purpose for this is that you can use these things for praise. You can use these things for worship. And this is giving us a green light to use that. They, they're trying to build a theology around specific instruments. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't do that, but that's not what the purpose and the context of this passage is doing for us. It's basically saying, hey, listen, do you have a lute? Do you have a lyre? Do you, do, I don't even know what these things are. Do you have a cymbal? Which, you know, I think of that weird-looking crazy monk, circus monkey toy 
He's saying if you've got these things, then praise the Lord. Praise Him with these things. What it's saying is it's not endorsing certain instruments. What it's saying is, what do you have in your hands? What has God equipped you with? What has He given you? If you have these things, praise Him with it. Praise Him with the string of the instrument. Praise Him with the voice. Or could it be, praise Him with your generosity. Praise Him with your servant's heart. Praise Him with the hands of skilled labor. Praise Him with the gift of administration, which is what Moses had, by the way. Praise Him with what's in your hands. And speaking of Moses, let's turn back to, I believe it's Exodus chapter 4, maybe? Yes, Exodus chapter 4. I want to read you a few verses. If you want to turn there, that's great. If not, just listen to me. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose that they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. This is Moses getting the instructions to go and to command and demand that Pharaoh let the Israelites go. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hands. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Notice that question that God asks Moses. What is that in your hand? So I want to ask you the same question this morning. What is that in your hand? What has God given you? What has God called you to? What has He purposed you to? What has He put in your hand that you need to be praising Him with? It doesn't have to be a musical instrument. It doesn't have to be a loud voice. What is in your hand? If it's praying interceding for this world, interceding for your brothers and sisters, interceding for your church. What is in your hand? And instead of looking around at other people coveting the gifts that they have in their lives, well, I wish I could play a guitar. I wish I could play the drums. I, side note, I can't get my hands and feet to do different things at the same time. It's impossible. I don't know how it's like talking about that circus monkey thing again, you know? But what, why would we look at someone else and covet that gift when God has gifted us and he's placed things in our hands already that we need to be praising him with? Praise the Lord. And lastly, who, who's invited? Who's invited to praise the Lord? Who is invited to praise him? Verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Who's invited? Everyone. It is not up to us. We are not the determining factor, voice, or thought processor who determines can and cannot praise God. God did that when at the creation moment he breathed breath into their lungs. So what does that do? That qualifies them for verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. 
that kind of goes against what we think. Because even though we are one of the quickest to disqualify ourselves, we can be really quick to disqualify others, can't we? It's as quiet back there as it is out here. We're quick to disqualify others. Maybe we don't like what they've done. Maybe we don't like what they've said. Maybe we don't like their past. Maybe we don't like their history. And we, maybe even subconsciously, will say they're not qualified to praise God like that. My friends, you and I, we're not that big. So many times in this passage we have looked and we have said that He is God. We are not. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I want to ask the praise team if they would to come back up this morning. I wrote a quote here. Derek Kittner said that God's glory fills the universe and that his praise should do no less. God's glory fills the universe. His praise should do no less. I think what we need to do this morning is we need to begin in our minds to erase the line between sacred and secular. Here's what I mean by that. Going back to where should we praise the Lord? It's not just in here. It's not just in your house on a Sunday morning. It's not just while we're gathered in this place or gathered together um, you know, in, in the upcoming life groups. It's not about being gathered together for a prayer meeting Do we praise Him there? Absolutely we do. In those sacred places, in those sacred moments, yes, we praise Him there. But it's also in the moments where we're sitting through the drive-thru at the bank. It's also the times when we're getting grocery. It's also the times that we're sitting in our office or doing whatever we do for work. It's the times when you're with your family and maybe, just maybe, Your spouse is pushing every right button that you've got. Thankfully, my wife would never do that to me. I'm going to have to pray. Praise the Lord. No matter what life brings your way, has brought your way, or is currently, praise the Lord. In the midst of depression, in the midst of rejoicing, in the midst of trial, in the midst of jubilation, in the midst of any possible emotion or range of experience that you can think of, that is what your purpose is and that is what we are called to do. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.